Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Indie Diaries podcast, a show on the human stories behind indie game development. And I'm feeling so emotional right now because this is the last episode of 2023, the first year of the podcast Indie Diary number 30. And really, I have no words to describe how amazing the past year has been. I've grown from absolute zero in January 2023 to about 3,000 followers across all of the social media platforms that I'm on. Uh, lots of followers on Spotify and listeners, amazing listeners. And the, the Discord server, it's cozier than ever and growing. And also, of course, I've got some amazing patrons as well, which I'm going to shout out to right now. Fainoko, Zagini, Fishbum Dev, Pelek, and also Angelisa. Thank you so much for supporting me this year and for being the amazing people that you are. But of course, all of this wouldn't have happened without the wider community, the Indie Diaries community. You guys are so special and you are what makes this so worth doing. So, I've got so much in store for 2024 and I hope that you'll be there for the ride. Go on theindiediaries.com, support the show, because there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. You can find a lot of links there to join the Discord and to support me on Patreon and also to follow me on social, so just do what you can do, of course. Any, every little thing helps. And of course, as if I'd planned it from the start, the last episode of the year is with a fellow ant, Tony from Ant Workshop, the developers of Dungeon Golf for Indie Diary number 30. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Indie Diaries podcast, a show on the human stories behind indie game development. This is your loyal Indie Diaries and host, Anthony L. Wolf, writer, narrative designer and senior content manager in social media. And today I've got a very special guest with me, Tony, the managing director of Ant Workshop. A lovely bunch that I met at EGX this year and are working on Dungeon Golf. And the fun thing about Dungeon Golf is that it releases pretty much while we are doing this interview, or in any case, in the next hour or so. So, I'll hand it over to you, Tony. Please tell the listeners a bit about yourself and why uh, Ant Workshop is so amazing. <laughs> uh, yes, hello, I am Tony. I'm, technically, I'm also an Anthony, but I go by Tony. Um, I am the, I think my job title is Managing Director now, which doesn't sound very indie, but um, there, are eight, <laughs> there are eight of us, so... I need to have a proper job title. It's better than CEO anywhere, which oh, definitely feels, <laughs> feels very self-aggrandizing to me. Mm. Um, yeah, I am the managing director um, and the founder of uh, Ant Workshop, which is a small indie developer based in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, we've been going for coming up to nine years now. Um, Dungeon Golf's our third game. That's like our own IP. Um, We've also done like we've helped out other indies with like doing porting of their games to uh, consoles and stuff like that. Like so, we worked with uh, Biffle Games on a whole bunch of their things. We worked with Size Five Games on mm -hmm. bringing their things to console. So, yeah, that's uh, that's us. And yes, like you like you uh, mentioned, today's a very busy day because <laughs> we booked in this interview a while ago, and then. It's turned out that today is the day that we are <laughs> launching Dungeon Golf out of early access and into version one. Uh, well, 55 it's, uh, minutes. <laughs> 55 minutes or so. Well, I don't think we're going to get to 55 minutes so to the release. We'll probably be, be free before then. But let's see. Let's see how it goes. So, well, I like to open to open these conversations, these chats with a little a bit of an icebreaker just so uh, people listening know a bit more about you. And uh, in a little bit of a fun way, I've changed my question 
my opening question um, for the past few episodes. And now I've landed on what I think is the most interesting thing that I can ask, which is, if you could be any game's character for a day, who would you be and why? Oh, my goodness. That's quite a question to spring on someone. <laughs> um, who, which game's character would I be and why? I think that... Um, well, so I, I've just finished... Uh, playing uh, Cyberpunk 2027 last Ooh, night. Okay. So that is fresh in mm. my mind. Um, so I think being V, as long as it is only for a day, because I think that would be <laughs> a terrible, terrible, terrible city and mm -hmm. life to live in. But equally, um, I'd upgraded my legs so I could do big jumps. Yeah, um, that, would be, that would be fun. And that was, that'd be, I think that'd be a laugh to, to mess around with. Being, okay. uh, uh, being able to look through security cameras and stuff for a day. Okay, but, well, yeah, um, right. imagine uh, it, for, for my last two episodes and such, while I was ironing out this, this opening question, I would ask people uh, if you could jump into any games world for a day. And I think that would be even more challenging because you definitely wouldn't have said <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> so, yeah, at least you got a games character. That uh, that, that is pretty fun. Um <laughs> Right, so um, let's let's start by talking about actually your your early years into gaming. Like, think back to your childhood. I'd like to know what's what's your earliest or fondest gaming related memory. So I have a couple, and they're always nice to to compare. Well, so um, so my earliest uh, memory, I think, was um, I think it was on the Vic Twenty. So we, so I'm I'm forty five years old. So, uh, in indie developer terms, quite an old man. <laughs> um, I yeah. So I I had uh, I think we had a Vic Twenty, and there was a game that we had on it that I remember playing, where you you placed blocks in the screen. There was like a ball bouncing around the screen, and you placed blocks, and you had to try and completely block the ball in into the middle of the screen. And I've never been able to find out what it was called, and it was probably rubbish but for me at the time it seemed uh incredible and uh yes yeah, so we had like a vic 20 then we had a, a, an acorn electron which was like the um the sort of little brother of the bbc micro uh that people used to use at school um but the the unfortunate thing with the acorn electron was it had really rubbish versions of all of the games so whereas people uh, the spectrum kids and the commodore 64 kids uh, and to some degree, the Amstrad kids at school all had really cool versions of uh, arcade arcade conversions and stuff like that. Um, that that rarely ever happened with the Acorn Electron. Uh, I think there just wasn't a big, very big market for it. Uh, so I kind of bumbled along with that for a while, and then at a certain point, I can't remember which year it'll have been, but I saved up some. Uh, birthday and and Christmas money, um, and put it all towards getting an uh, Amiga five hundred plus. And let me tell you, the jump from going from using an Acorn Electron, like an eight bit uh, computer, where I was playing it on a black and white screen, um, to uh, playing Lemmings. Uh, with the digitized music and all of that kind of stuff, it was mind blowing. Um, so that was kind of, I, th I think, probably one of my fondest gaming memories to cover that. 
time it was probably that summer when I got my uh, Amiga and sampling the delights of things like Turrican and Turrican 2 and yeah, like Lemmings and um, like Secret of Monkey Island and stuff mm-hmm. like that where it was like it, it Mind felt blowing, like I guess, it was, yeah. yeah, it was like just such an incredible kind of step up mm-hmm. from what I had been used to. Uh-huh. That it was yeah. like, oh my goodness, this is. Yeah, I like, guess I guess some... it must must have been interesting. And I remember some of my earliest days in in, in gaming. Of course, I'm a a, a bit younger. Uh, I'm 28, so uh, I was born in the 90s, like mid 90s, and uh, or around that time, of course, the first PlayStation came out. Um, one of my first gaming memories, though, was well, I've got a couple. I've got one in arcade um, with with arcade machines and such, but I also got one where I, I think it was my grandma who bought me something in like a street market or something like that, which was probably a ripoff console of some sort. But it wasn't black and white, and uh, I the only thing I remember is that it was uh, very blocky, of course. Uh, and uh, the background was black, the foreground was white, and all you would do was just move around with, like, different mini-games. Uh, I don't even think it had a proper name. It was probably just a ripoff of something else. Um, <laughs> but I never quite um, re- understood or, or remembered what name that kind of console had. So I think we had similar experiences there. I don't remember <laughs> the first games that I played. I do remember the first PlayStation, and I do remember the big jump that was from PS1 to PS2 to PS3. And now it kind of, it's kind of, um, it, it, it's a bit like, of course, diminishing yeah, it, returns. It feels, and such, so yeah, it feels, it feels like, like less like, of a generational leap yeah. each time, doesn't it? It's like exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember jumping from PS2 to PS3 was like massive because you would have like hyper realistic graphics and such. So, um, come a long way since then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and of course you've kind of uh, answered this question in terms of um, what games you remember playing growing up. So all of those, but. Do you think they are having an influence on the kind of games that you guys do at Ant Workshop now, or do you feel like you're doing something completely different? Yeah, I think um, like I've been thinking about this a lot, kind of recently. As we, so obviously with kind of finishing up Dungeon Golf and like uh, um, launching, like launching that, and then kind of like looking into like, okay, what what kind of like what are we going to do for our next project? What kinds of things are we going to look at? Um, and I think very much so. When I think about the sorts of games that I used to like playing as a kid, it's like all of the developers like they had they had their own style, right? So it's like your your uh, sensible software, like you could tell like a sensible software game. I mean, they they got to the point where they were all using like this, a really similar kind of art style with like the little fellas on like sensible soccer and cannon fodder and stuff stuff like that, but they had like they had a kind of vibe like there was a sort of sensible software vibe mm-hmm. that you could absolutely get and and again like uh team 17 like they were like just like gods on the amiga scene it's like <laughs> yeah. everything that they did was like this cool like it from alien breed like onwards kind of stuff it's just like everything had like this really amazing arcade feel and and kind of vibe to it and and like the bitmap brothers were similar like again like just really identifiable it's like okay this is like even outside of the art style like this is their kind of thing um and i think that's what i've tried to steer and workshop towards um for certainly like all of our stuff i always describe like it's family friendly 
act within kind of certain parameters of of what you would let yeah. what you would let kids play. Like, there's no kind of like big blood and gore and stuff like that. We wouldn't do like you know we'd do a horror game that kind of thing. There's some um, kind of gentle curse words. There's um, some kind of uh, innuendo and stuff mm-hmm. in the dialogue and that kind of thing and like there's some kind of like disgusting bits and bobs in it but it's like yeah well i suppose it's, it's kind of it's, the, the shrek humor isn't it like you, kids yeah, will enjoy absolutely. it but they wouldn't necessarily understand it <laughs> then they grow up and they're like oh wait <laughs> so. yeah that's that's exactly it it's like that kind of thing and like a lot of um kind of saturday morning cartoons like cartoons mm-hmm. in the 90s and stuff yeah. like um had like a, just such a massive fan of like cartoons like the Animaniacs. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and like the, there was another Warner Brothers cartoon called uh, Freakazoid that came out after the Animaniacs, and it was like these really kind of knowing, self-referential, mm-hmm. really clever. Like there was a whole bunch of stuff that I. It turns out when I was a kid watching the Animaniacs, I didn't really, well, not even a kid, a sort of young teenager. I didn't really understand, <laughs> even at that point, a lot of the jokes in it. And it's only kind of going back to it where you kind of go, like, oh, actually, no, I, I, like that's that's really well written. And that, like, the amount of effort that some of these things had put into it for what was like a three minute uh bit on a like a kind of kids cartoon yeah, exactly it, it, like it must have it must have brought like the, the their writing team and their animators and stuff such joy to like <laughs> oh yeah we'll stick this in and it's it's fine it's only on for three minutes so we'll get mm-hmm. away with it no, yeah, exactly but, yeah like so that like that's definitely like uh the the kind of thing mm-hmm. that kind we of vibe you're going again, for yeah yeah like that that kind of thing and i mean it as well like my early career like um so very like my very first job was at like a, a sort of mid kind of mid sized indie developer, although you didn't really call them indie developers at the time, and mm. no one has probably heard of them. It was called Particle Systems. They made PC uh, space games mm-hmm. um, that were like sort of like Wing Commander or Elite mm. that kind of thing. Um, but after working there, like the next job that I got was at Rockstar. So it's like you're immediately going into kind of years of making um, things where it's, it's okay, what mission can we do where you, um, like, who are you going to go and kill in this one? What do, what happens if you run over this guy during this mission? What happens if, uh, can we give the player grenades for this? Oh, we've got a flamethrower that we need to work into the storyline somehow and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's like, and workshop, I think, like again, like a lot of what we do is me kind of still exercising like that. Like, no, I just want to do like daft kind of cartoony, <laughs> silly things. And especially like, I mean, now like I've got um, an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old of my own, and ah, it's like yeah, of course, be, being able to like being able to chat with my kids about the games that we're making mm-hmm. and like. Being able to sit there with my daughter and kind of say to like, okay, yeah, which one's course. your favorite character out of Dungeon Golf? And, and they're basically your like, target audience, so you've got them. Yeah, in the and then house. they can <laughs> like they can sit there and kind of like chat to you about like, oh, what's that character and what's that? And it's like that you feel like you're not having to kind of hide what you're doing from them. Um, yeah, so, uh, it's, yeah, it's like a real influence. I'm probably going to go back to that at some point, but at this point, in all of this process, like when you started working at Rockstar and such. 
Um, and even before then, when you were in a mid-sized indie developer, quote unquote, as you mentioned, when exactly did you realize that you wanted to make games? Like, was there some sort of aha moment after you were playing <laughs> games for so long? Uh, you you were like, oh yeah, I want to do this, or did it just happen kind of casually? It's it's a funny one. Like, so I I always think that um, I kind of fell into like I fell into doing it professionally. Um, I was. Uh, when I was at university, I was just doing like a computer science degree because at the time, like there wasn't there wasn't game development degrees, so I was just doing a computer science degree. And from my between my second and third year, you had to do like a year in industry, and I ended up working at uh, Compaq, and we were making this we were working in this office making an email archiving <laughs> um, bit of software. It was really boring stuff, but. Every lunchtime and after work every day, because all the computers were networked, everyone busted out uh, Quake, the original Quake. Uh-huh. Um, because Quake ran really well. Like, cause, I mean, there were development, uh, like office software development PCs, mm-hmm. so it's like they didn't have graphics cards in them and stuff. So Quake managed to run uh, pretty well. I, I mean, we played it so much, one guy did actually buy a graphics card and bring it in and put it into his work <laughs> computer, which I'm not sure whether IT ever found out about. Um, but so we were playing, like we were playing that and like I, through that, I got really into making maps for Quake. Um, and then that was the same year that Half-Life came out, which um, used the same, like it used like the same engine as Quake and like it had, so it meant kind of moving on to making maps for Half-Life and then, the year after that, uh, like Counter Strike, like really early versions of Counter Strike and making maps for Counter Strike was kind of like a really nice, easy mm-hmm. progression. Um, so in like my final year at university, I was kind of between all my uni work, which I was slightly disinterested in anyway, because by that point I'd had the lure of like, well, actually, I could have just gone, mm-hmm. I should have just stayed at this other company and made, made money rather than going back to do my degree in the final year. Um, <laughs> And kind of doing these like Half Life levels and getting like got involved in like the Half Life mapping community um, the website at the time called like Planet Half Life. There was like a whole there was a different Planet website for each of the get like Planet Quake, Planet uh, Kingpin, mm-hmm. short lived, um, but all like all of this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, the the developer. I ended up going to work for for my first job, like posters on one of these mapping forums of like, hey, we're making a first person shooter for consoles, um, looking for some map, like some people to come and work for us as level designers, send your CV here. So I, mm-hmm. I thought, like, yeah, go on, then I'll do that. Send sent my CV, link to my website and stuff like that, my portfolio, um, and completely forgot about it. And then um got like got an email back it's like from it's, it's like i remember like looking at my email and going like what's it particle systems are inviting me for an interview i don't who on earth are particle systems like because <laughs> at the time it's like you're just applying to like i don't know banks yeah of course yeah banks yeah bar, boring play it's like particle systems i don't remember applying to them who on earth mm-hmm. are they? like looked at it, it's like oh that's the games company oh magic um and yeah so that was kind of how i fell into it but then kind of looking back further, like I'd always, again, with, with having like the Amiga and stuff like that. Um, uh, and even like on the Amiga, you had like Amos and stuff, but even, like further back in like the Aircon Electron, because there wasn't as many games came out for the Aircon Electron, 
you would get like the magazines and these books that have like oh type in type in these game listing mm-hmm. things and you kind of like just tinker around with that a lot so i ended mm-hmm. up making like quite a lot of i mean i I don't think any footage or anything <laughs> survives of any of them, which is probably for the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. But and like using like and again like any game that had like a level editor that was built in with it or something it was like oh cool I can make I, I remember I can't remember the name of the game but it was like a top top down almost like gauntlet type of thing but mm-hmm. you were like a spaceman going around this thing and it had a level editor, but it also had like a, a tile editor. So it's like, you could change all the graphics and stuff. So it's like, oh, amazing. I'll change all the graphics and playing around with that stuff. And, and, and also remember that I was doing this on a black and white TV. So when I was changing all of the graphics, I was using whatever color looked like a nice shade of gray <laughs> on this black and white TV. And just one of the last things that I did before I put the in was look at one of the levels that I'd made on this thing. It was the most horrific um, <laughs> blur of like reds and clashing reds and greens and stuff. Cause it's My like on a black and white TV, this looked really good. Yeah, of course. It's absolutely disastrous. But yeah. And then like, again, with Amiga, I got into, there was a bit of software called Amos that was like a sort mm-hmm. of, um, write your own games kind of thing and so yeah it's it's funny like I always I never think of myself as being like oh I always wanted to get into games but actually when I trace it back it does seem almost inevitable like it was, yeah like it kind of, it kind of made sense at one point it makes yeah. sense that you that you did it and do you actually remember the very first game that you ever developed like do you have any memories from that one I don't know. I don't remember the very first. I remember some of the things that I'd made. Um, I made a couple of side-scrolling shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, I made. I made one of the things that I thought was very clever was like a, a game where, a game, like, so it's top down. You're in a maze. There was you and you were a tank, and there was other tanks. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found really clever about what I designed with it was that you all used the same set of weapons. So it's like. Uh-huh. Your gun used the same code as like the the AI things guns, which in retrospect is probably like a sort of early kind of deathmatch thing of it's mm-hmm. like you're playing against bots that have the same kind of exact same capability and and weapon set as you. Um, I remember also making a um, it's almost like laser squad, like a sort of tactics tactical game where you played as a wizard in like a castle and there was. Mm-hmm. Other three other wizards in there with you, and you got to choose like, oh, do I want to be the fighter wizard or the ice wizard? And that changed what set of spells you had, and you could go around and like use up your action points to to open doors or to fire spells at people and all of that, all of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I honestly, for life, I cannot remember the the sort of very first thing that I did. As you mentioned, maybe probably for the best because <laughs> <you don't laughs> yeah. well, yeah, I mean, it wanna... certainly wouldn't have been a pretty game. Yeah, probably. But yeah, so um appreciate that. Of course, there's a lot of time that we're skipping here. But like, at which point did you decide that you wanted to switch from, you know, bigger development to go into indie and, well, bigger, like AAA, if you've been in Rockstar for that many years, um, or in AAA in general for that many years. But at which point did you do the switch? As in, when did you decide that you wanted to just go indie completely and do your own thing? Um, I think it... It kind of happened over a, oh, almost over a couple of jobs. The, I, I remember that the, the main thing was so I'd, I'd worked at Rockstar for about seven or eight years. Yeah. 
Um, and there was an email went around. We were working on, at the time I was working on uh, like an early version of GTA Online, mm-hmm. for like GTA. I mean, it wasn't called GTA Online at that point. It was called the multiplayer bit of GTA 5. The multiplayer um, bit of GTA. <laughs> yeah. But it's like an email went went around basically. It was like, okay, this is, come on, gang, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're kind of, we've got a few more years of this yet. And, and then like, we just need to knuckle down. And it really stuck me. It's like, actually, I don't, I've already been working on this for a year. I don't want to spend another two or three years working on just this one Mm-hmm. game like up up until that point because i'd worked at at the um mostly on like the sort of portable games like so we did like liberty city stories on the ps oh ah, yeah remember those chinatown mm-hmm. wars and the days and stuff like that and it's like those games had taken i think they had taken two years maximum um to develop so it's still kind of relative like relatively brisk and the idea mm-hmm. of like kind of spending five years on something developing just one game Mm. didn't really appeal to me so that's at that point i i so that was when i left rockstar and i did it like a little bit of um kind of uh i guess you'd call it indie development like it was making like flash games and uh licensing out flash games and stuff like that and then got into uh got persuaded to to kind of join the mobile games industry and because that was again, it's quite fast development. You're like working on stuff that's only like only taking six months or so to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that that I don't know that didn't really work out for a variety of things. And that was the point where I set up a workshop. It just felt like a nice kind of thing. Like you, do you know what? I've done this a lot. I kind of back myself a little bit to to know whether something's good or or not. And um, been around a little bit so i know some people like i'm not kind of coming at this without any kind of contacts whatsoever Mm -hmm. um so yeah that like that was that was kind of what led me into uh starting out workshop and like the first thing that we did with binaries which was like a um it was like a sort of remake of of like a one of the flash games that i'd made and like okay i'll take that idea because it was a solid idea and people quite enjoyed it and build it out into like a a, a bigger title that we can actually kind of sell rather than just mm-hmm. putting it for free on a flash website. Well, that's, that's a really interesting story you got there. So from AAA, basically you just realized, Oh, uh, you know what? I don't want to do this for two more years. Let's, let's try and do something a bit more independent. <laughs> that's uh, really, really interesting. And of course I've looked through your portfolio of games, but going to like, fast forwarding to the present day, of course, dungeon golfs comes out today. At least it goes out of the early access today. Um, so I think it's such a brilliant idea. I'll just put it out there. I saw it at EGX. I didn't have a chance to play it because the booth was always full. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but I think it's such a brilliant idea. Just playing golf in a dungeon with monsters that may just come and disrupt you or whatever you're doing. So can you tell the listeners what Dungeon Golf is all about? Because we've been hinting at this game for a while (laughs) and we've been mentioning it for a while. So what is Dungeon Golf? So... Uh, dungeon golf is mini golf in a dungeon um it is you uh, choose one of uh, a variety of kind of like hero characters who like so you might be the big barbarian or a wizard or a skeleton um and you're basically you're playing golf you're trying to get your ball in the hole in the smallest number of shots um but it is through a real dungeon so there's 
other monsters in the way. There are spinning saw blades, there's slime, there's a treasure chest, there's all kinds of stuff um, that you would expect in a fantasy game that kind of gets in your way. Um, there's combat in it. You can um, you can whack your ball into monsters and then you get like a shot back. So there's like a, 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 like a nice incentive in doing that. Uh, you don't have any health. Everything kind of feeds back into your score. So if you land too close to a monster, they'll attack you and um, they, they kind of adds to your score. But also it's got local and online multiplayer in it. So it's, um, you can use your, your like you can use your shots and things to uh, affect the other players. So, with it being like a sort of hero based game, each character, as well as having like um, stats for like how strong they are or how accurate they are, they also have like a couple of special abilities that kind of are themed into their are themed into their characters, um, and you can kind of use them once a turn to to either to attack monsters or to attack other players, and like it's got a real for like for a mini golf game like it's not a super fast paced mini golf game it's actually mm-hmm. slightly more tactical than i think a lot of people expect it to be when you start playing it um because you just have it's it's turn based but it also means you've just got like so many options in terms of kind of what you want to do and what is like what's what's the best uh strategy so yeah i um, probably one of the problems with it is that I've never quite managed to figure out like a really snappy little uh, bit of marketing for it, really. Well, mini golf in a dungeon. I think it's a, <laughs> it's a perfect little descriptor there. So yeah, I think I think it's amazing. But in fact, I think this this is a nice blend of two ideas. But do you remember what the inspiration was behind dungeon golf? Like, what sparked the idea of doing mini golf in a dungeon? I think that would be so an the, interesting story. The, so the the mini golf side of it was i mean i'm quite a fan of mini golf anyway like i play mini golf on um almost all the time like to the point where it's become a a kind of running gag with the team of like tony's gone on holiday which mini golf course is is he going to drag his children to um (laughs) well i'm glad it's mini golf courses and not dungeons (laughs) because well yeah so and it was like i was playing I mean, so I was on a family holiday and I was playing mini golf with, again, like with my kids who were uh, under the age of 10, with my uh, nephews and my niece who were teenagers and like with my mum who's a pensioner. And it's, it really struck me that it's like mini golf is, it's a game where it's like everyone understands the kind of the basic of you trying to get your ball in the hole in the smallest number of hits. And it's, it's got a lot of, like it's got a quite a high skill like sort of variance in it um but with like really simple rules you're basically just like swinging your stick and and away you go and even the very best players like it's like you can have a bad shot or like a, a kind of bad hole and um and do quite like do quite poorly or like so there's like there's quite a nice ability for people across age groups to to play it together and that was kind of what set us on the doing the, the mini golf side of things and then it, it was really just came down to like looking at looking at the mini golf games and it's like okay there's I mean there's loads of mini golf games out there, absolute stacks of them. So trying to think of of like a what's going to be like what's going to be the thing that kind of sets our game apart and makes it different from from the all of the other mini golf games and it it was kind of like look when we were looking at 
think like we're looking at things like uh, Mario Kart as well, where it's like, oh well, actually they've got like the, there's the different characters and they have like different different um, abilities and like the different like different um, uh, statistics in the carts and stuff like that. Um, and, and feeding that in of like, well, okay, no one's done it like a mini golf like a mini golf game where it is hero based, and which like most mini golf games, you you're basically just playing as like a completely um, disembodied ball where it's like there isn't even really a person there that's taking that's taking those shots um, and there's a few mini golf games where they do have a character but which character you have basically doesn't make any difference so it's like okay mm-hmm. we can we can kind of put characters in it and from there like it just the I think the dungeon thing kind of just came out of it quite naturally at that <laughs> point of like that it's like well you can get like a really nice range of like things that people are familiar with but you like you can do like a little bit of a twist on it but it's familiar enough that again like in in our game um when you the if you choose the barbarian do you think that the barbarian is going to be a strong character or like a weak character it's like obviously she can hit the ball really far like she's a strong character. like so there's these kind of like tropes almost where it's mm-hmm. it even though like because we do add like there's a, there's a lot of bits to the game and like a lot of stuff that we're adding to the game of mini golf like i said it's mm-hmm. like with, the, with the traps and with the monsters and the way that the combat works and charging up your special abilities and and all of this kind of stuff we wanted to kind of keep a lot of the theming in to be something where it's like people would be able to kind of onboard them a lot a lot more easily there's probably some really clever um game development terminology that I'm, <laughs> that I'm forgetting that that explains what I'm on about. But but yeah, basically it's like you can have kind of like if you're mixing two things together, like you don't also want to like make other things mm-hmm. super yeah. weird because then it's like it just ends up as too much. Yeah, it ends like, up too like much stuff yeah, for a player stuff, to exactly. have to like, yeah, it's like this, none of this is familiar at that point. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of, make it and again because it was like we wanted it to be something where it's like people can like across generations can kind of pick up and play it against each other so it's like yeah you wanted it so it's 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 not going to be mm-hmm. too unusual it feels like you, you put together two very simple ideas and uh, just ran with it without overcomplicating things sometimes with these things less is more so it's it's uh, it's really good. I think it's a great approach there. Thank you. I mean, it certainly it used to be a, like even more complicated. Like there was a, there was a, like in terms of de- like well, as we were developing it, there was a lot of things where, for example, like the combat against the enemies. It used to be that it's like enemies have like hit points and mm-hmm. health bars and stuff like, and it always just kind of simplifying down, like it, it, simplifying all of the elements down. So it's like the players used to have health. And you'd get into this position where it's like, oh, do I want to hit my ball? Like, is it better for me to to concentrate on my score or to concentrate on mm. kind of my health? Not like not running out of health, and like you almost had too much stuff to to kind of juggle. Mm. Um, and so yeah, it's like at the point where it's like we kind of actually simplified like a lot of the combat and a lot of the way that those things interplay, and and really just again focused so much more of it mm-hmm. back down into like it, this is about the golf side of things um it, yeah helped make a lot more sense I, th- I think it always comes a point in the development of a game where you start 
realizing that you're overcomplicated things a lot, and then you start kind of cutting down on the elements until you, you you're just left with the bare bones and of what the experience is about. And uh, so that's that's great that you guys spotted that because it could have been a design flaw. You know, it was like <laughs> players don't know what what to focus on, and then it become it ends up being an experience which is neither one or the other. So it's uh, yeah, it's really good. I think especially with something like mini golf because mini golf in itself is quite a simple again quite a simple rule set yeah um so i think it i think the instinct is to like okay well to make this something that is worth making a full game out of like we mm-hmm. need to put lots of like we need to throw loads of extra stuff into it and i don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. true especially again for for something where it's like you kind of wanting it to be played by uh, like a wider range of um, abilities and an age range and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I'm curious now. I'd like uh, I'd like to ask you this question: um, What is one thing that you hope any player would get out of playing not only dungeon golf but all of Ant Workshop's game? Because you mentioned that it's like family friendly fun. So, what what do you hope that any player approaching any one of your games would just get? uh after 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 playing your experiences um i would hope that it would make them laugh at some point <laughs> i think that's the, that's the kind of main thing like yeah again with like with all of our stuff like just trying to trying to kind of put put it into situations where it's funny but without the like without the sort of funniness being um just being like a kind of scripted gag or whatever mm-hmm. um like but yeah having like having i mean there's so many um situations that you get into in dungeon golf where it's like you'll hit a hit your ball and it'll bounce off some sort of do like you get quite like a kind of chain effect of things happening um mm-hmm. that like you just we're, like when we play it as a team sometimes it's just like absolute howls of laughter and mixed with a little bit of swearing sometimes but yeah of course just (laughs) yeah it's bound to happen yeah kind of like odd chain reactions of stuff i think that's yeah i think that's yeah i think that's probably what fun and laughter yeah yeah, just i mean yeah obviously like i mean yeah we we don't make again we don't make the um kind of meaningful indie game like in meaningful games or games that are like about a thing like like lots of people like describing their indie games as like this is about something or whatever and it's um, it's debatable though i would say your game is about having fun and uh, having fun together so it, it can have mean like fun in itself and laughter can can have meaning in and of itself i think so you're still doing a great thing uh i think you wanted to, to get people to come together and have fun together like you are doing in your team and like i suppose you want to be doing with um with your children as well which leads me actually to my next question um you might have noticed that this conversation has gone a bit deeper over time so (laughs) why exactly are you a game developer what is it that drives you forward oh um i don't know anything else to do (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I I mean I I joke, but genuinely, like I said, like since I left university, this is the only job that I've ever had in in one capacity or other. I'm not sure that I've got any transferable skills. <laughs> um, I think that um, yeah, I think that there's just so much 
like it's so nice to see people playing something that you've made and enjoying it and like for all of the for all of the really boring and trudging and disappointing and frustrating bits of of game development mm-hmm. genuinely there is kind of like nothing that compares with um like having someone write on your steam forum like thanks very much for the game me and my girlfriend played at halloween uh, oh. we had an absolute blast uh, really enjoyed it made us laugh loads and it's like that which is an actual comment that someone left. I'm not just mm-hmm. making pulling that yeah. off in there. <laughs> but like that sort of thing is just like it. It really does kind of like make all of like the, the kind of uh, tears and pain of it mm-hmm. really worthwhile. It's like I'm I'm sure that there are other um, again like other like creative industries or even other jobs. I mean. Like my wife does an actual proper job. She works for the NHS. So it's an like actual she, proper job. <laughs> she she helps people mm-hmm. like in a in a very real way. Um, and again, it's like it's a, it, I'm not saying that there are other other jobs and you wouldn't get that satisfaction. But yeah, it's like the the getting that from from seeing mm-hmm. someone like playing a thing or like you know like when you said like seeing the game at EGX or something, it's like the bit where like a kid runs up to your game and like kind of sits down at it and, and plays it for a bit and then like walks away and they have enjoyed it or mm-hmm. someone sits down and plays your game for five minutes and then says like, oh, that's really good, that. And then they pull out their phone and actually like wish list it right in front of you. And it's like... <laughs> There's, there really is nothing. It gives you like some validation, kind of, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it yeah. Like, there really is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of hit that you get from that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I can see what you mean. Exactly. And well, uh, you've mentioned all the frustrations, all the pains, and all of that in your whole time as a game developer over all these years. Is there a particular challenge or a particular learning that has left a mark on you and that you want to share with? other developers who are just struggling with their game right now. It could be something from the development of Dungeon Golf as well, maybe something you would change or in general. What what springs to your mind? Um oh I so I think I mean I, I don't know. I, I never think of myself as being a particularly uh, clever game developer. <laughs> um most most of them kind of uh like I, I yeah I don't have any secret knowledge um that probably has never been heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a, like the the idea of like just simplifying stuff down is has been a hard hard for um, understanding. Like again, you I think over time you you gradually get better and better at kind of controlling the scope of something much early on, but mm. also understanding the value of kind of getting getting the core bits of the game so that they feel nice early on and sometimes that's um sometimes that stuff is is almost cosmetic like game feel stuff where it's like it's you're not it's it's arguably a, yeah like i said like a sort of cosmetic layer over the top of stuff but it is important because it does affect how people mm-hmm. uh, how people view the game 
Um, yeah, I think that's. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I'm, it works. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a particularly. I'm yeah, I'm not a particularly academic game developer. Yeah. I think like a lot of the stuff that I do um, is like we sit we sit and kind of just like yeah, it's like there's just like a gut, a lot of gut feeling. I think there's still yeah gut feeling. I think there's still sound advice. They'll like simplify down as much as possible and just follow your instinct. I suppose uh, over time you develop that instinct too with experiences. So yeah. Um, I'm curious about one more thing before we start wrapping up. Have having worked at Rockstar for so many years, and probably being exposed, having been expo- exposed uh, to the inner workings of the AAA industry, if you could change one thing about the games industry, what would it be? I could change one thing about games. I think that I think it would just be nice if it was nicer to people. Mm. Is, is the is the main thing, and I think that that's. Like yeah, for like from a, and that's from like a lot of angles. It's it's an industry where people are very passionate about it. Yeah. Um, for all of the good and bad that that uh, incurs, um, I think that there's uh, yeah, there's like a lot of stuff where people will talk to indie developers in the same way that they would talk to, like in the same. Way, same way that they would shout into the void at like a triple A developer or something, and it's like it's it doesn't work the same like way, kind of yeah, yeah and kind of under, like this understanding of it. it's like that there are real people mm-hmm. putting their heart into these things, and there's always this kind of always this kind of like thing of like oh you know these they made this rubbish game and it's mm-hmm. like they they just the developers are stupid and they don't know what they're doing and blah 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 and it's like no one is sat there and like in all my time in games development, I don't think I've ever worked with anyone that genuinely didn't care at all about the game that they were making. Mm. Like even working on like prototypes and pitches for like licensed things and stuff. Cause that's the, you, you kind of, as a game developer, you, even if you're not super into like the, the entire IP of what you're working on, it's like, you'll find like little bits of it where you're like, oh, I really want to get this bit nice. And I yeah. really want to make sure that this bit feels good. And It becomes your thing, doesn't it? It's become, it becomes your baby, your creation. So you obviously are invested and you exactly, want to yeah. make it good. Um, and yeah, so I think, and you know, there's just a lot of stuff that can, there's a lot of stuff that, a lot of plans that kind of go wrong or, or don't work out and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't think anyone ever does it deliberately. I think everyone always. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone always kind of tries their best. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're uh, almost there. I think it's uh, almost time for some uh, parting words. But because we've been very deep so far, let's do something a bit more fun. I've got two fun questions for you. Well, fun okay. actually. One might not be so fun. Uh, might be still <laughs> very deep. Ooh. But let's let's try it out anyway. Imagine writing a letter to yourself, but ten years younger. What would you say? Um, oh, oh man, these are deep questions. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Should have framed I've, them differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's little bits and pieces that I, I think I, I kind of wish that I'd changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like overall, I think um, I've had a, a pretty good old run of it. Like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's really anything. Yeah, Sorry. so you'd probably send a, a blank, a blank letter to your younger self, and it would be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, just send a letter to say, "Yeah, you know, 
Play it by ear. It'll, it'll all work out yeah, fine. It will all work I'm out. Sure. Yeah, perfect. Uh, but yeah. this should be fun. If you had unlimited budget and time, what game would you make? Oh, well, um, well you see, I'm, again, I'm going to be quite, but I don't want unlimited time. More, yeah, more, yeah, than okay. two, more than two years on a, on a single game is mm-hmm. too, it's way too long. And unlimited budget, like, again, like if you, what I love, it's one of the things I love about the indie thing is it's like, you know, we're a team of eight people. Um, and during gun, Dungeon Golf development, it's like we had kind of people come and go, but it's like, I think at, at most the team was 14, um, possibly not even that. Um, and it's nice because you can always kind of chat to people and you always, uh, you, you kind of know everyone. Uh, whereas like, you know, working on a Red Dead Redemption or something like that, it's like there's some dude in the art team who's just making rocks and no one, <laughs> uh, no one outside the art team really knows who he is. And that's, and it's, yeah, I, I, kind, of, I kind of wouldn't want that. But in terms of the stuff that, I would like to make I think that I would use unlimited budget more in just terms of giving a lot of people a bit more space to make their own ideas it's something uh-huh. that we're trying on the team at the moment where it's like so we're finished a, a big project and kind of going on to making like a bunch of smaller things uh-huh. um, and one of the one of the aspects of that is kind of giving everyone on the team a lot more agency in terms of like okay what game do you want to make and what it, like how do you want this to to go and kind of like at the moment I, we've got like four different projects on the go where it's like four different people on the team are, are kind of being almost like the creative leads on the on their own projects um, and i think yeah i think that that's the sort of thing where it's like can you imagine the kind of compilation of weird and wonderful <laughs> indie stuff that you would get if you could yeah if you basically just sat down with like a with your unlimited budget and said to a lot of people like, all right, you've got, I don't know, uh, 200,000 pound or something. And you've got six months, make something, <laughs> make something weird. Like, I just think that the, the stuff that you'd see would be incredible. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Plus then I could just sit on my backside and not do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you could do, do that. all of their stuff and I'd tinker around with my idea and that would be that. That's true, yeah. All right, well, thank you, Tony. It's been such an amazing chat, and and, and I've loved, genuinely loved speaking with you. I think uh, Thanks, I, I think it will be a very nice episode. Um, to wrap things up, where can other people find you, and if they do, how can they support you? Um, so we at Ant Workshop, we're on, uh, I'd say that we're on Twitter. <laughs> uh, we're, on, we're on Blue Sky, we've got Discord, uh, we've got a YouTube channel, you search for uh, Ant Workshop, um, or in particular, if you go on Steam and uh, find Dungeon Golf and buy Dungeon Golf, that would be a big support. Mm-hmm. And that would help us in, in kind of the projects that we're doing next. Perfect. So I will obviously put all of these links in the description. Of course, Dungeon Golf will be out by the time you listen to this episode. And uh, it could be a nice little... Uh, well, I don't remember when the episode is going to go out, but uh, if it comes out before Christmas, it could be a nice uh, little Christmas game to play with your family and friends. Nice. Um, I'm sure so, yeah. it will be in the Steam Christmas sale. So for this there you go. around that kind of time... Yeah. Perfect. So well. (laughs) (laughs) So well. Again, Tony, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, uh, of course, it's been it's been a chat with a very much uh, harder himself, Tony. But 
I think you're doing an amazing thing with Ant Workshop, and uh, Dungeon Golf looks beautiful, and I wish you all the best. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. It has been uh, lovely to chat. And here we are. What can I say? This was the last episode of the year for the Indie Diaries podcast, and what a beautiful episode it was. Thank you so much, Tony, for giving me your time and uh, for a beautiful chat together. I think we touched upon some great topics such as creativity under constraints and just, you know, uh, making games that can make people laugh. And uh, I think everything we said is so powerful. So thank you so much for your time again and for being an amazing guest for this last episode of 2023. So, what's there left to say? Thank you for being part of this amazing community in 2023. If you enjoyed this episode and the show, please subscribe, please rate it five stars. It helps so much, pleases the goddess of the algorithm and everything that I always like to say. But if you also want to support the show in other ways, there are other ways indeed. You can go on to the indiediaries.com. There's a beautiful landing page. Uh, well, beautiful. I've developed it, so I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not the best person to say that it's beautiful. But yes, so there's a, there's a landing page there, at least, with links to my Patreon, my coffee, and uh, my social media platforms, and also my Discord server. By the time this episode comes out, the holiday extravaganza week will be done and over, but... There will be more multiplayer events in the Discord server, so if you want to just hang out with a beautiful community of indie game developers and indie lovers, then please come say hi. And, uh, well, I guess that's it then. I'll see you in 2024, and of course I will have some more slots for interviews in 2024. So if you are an indie game developer yourself, please get in touch, because I would love to tell your story to the world in my next indie diary. I'm struggling to finish this this episode and finish this outro because it's just, it's incredible that we got to 30 indie diaries in a year, but we did it and it couldn't have happened without you. Thank you so much again for being an amazing and cozy community and I'll speak to you in 2024.